0: Welcome to Voices in Action, a Create Foundation podcast. Create is a national organisation with over 20,000 members aged from birth to 25 who are or were in care that is, foster, kinship, or residential care. We are the voice for children and young people in care across Australia. In every episode of this podcast, we hear directly from young people with a care experience. Let's get started! and I am a youth facilitator with CREATE in the Queensland State Office. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we share and listen today and pay my respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Today we are talking about Transition to Adulthood or T2A. At CREATE we want to see care experienced young people supported and empowered on their journey into adulthood, equipped with life skills, resources and connections to really thrive. Today we are talking with Create Young Consultants who have started their transition into adulthood journey. We will be chatting with some of our awesome Create Young Consultants to hear their thoughts, what worked, what really didn't work and practical ideas for workers and carers to support young people on their journey to independence. Trigger warning, please note that the following material may cover topics such as homelessness and childhood abuse. If this material brings up issues for you, please talk with someone such as Lifeline or Beyond Blue. Hi, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi, I'm Yasmin. Um, I'm a Torres Strait Islander female. I'm 18 years old and I like to read
2: fun. Hi, I'm Raymond. I'm an 18 year old young adult living in Brisbane. I grew up in care since the day I was born. I've had a long and I want to say treacherous journey to where I am today. And yeah, I like music. Um, I'm obsessed with dancing, I love fashion, and I'm passionate about drag.
3: Hi, I'm Jasmine. I'm 18 years old. I live in Toowoomba. Well, I was in foster care, and I'm currently studying theology.
0: What were some things that really helped you on your transition to adulthood journey? What were some of the challenges that you faced?
1: My transition from care was very alone. I didn't really have a lot of support. When I was 15... Going to 18, there was not really a lot of support. I was in Seals, the program, which stands for Semi-Independent Living. And throughout that, the youth workers were really helpful. However, Child Safety weren't very engaged in
3: my plan and what I was doing. I didn't have a lot of good role models to sort of learn, you know, how to, how to do adult stuff well. But when I was in foster care, my Foster Care Sarah, she helped a lot with that. She taught me how to clean and how to cook. She gave us a lot of responsibilities and helped us learn all that stuff so that by the time we were getting close to turning into adults, we already had that stuff down pat. Yeah, she's really good at finance and stuff too. She helped us learn about that. I also did a certificate one in finance with my school. That actually um, was surprisingly helpful. Yeah, that was all really good.
2: Some of the challenges I faced um, during self-placing and stuff would be the department wouldn't be able to get to me and help me in a time of need. I would be living in Toowoomba and my child safety officer would be and in saying that I would need help like getting accommodation or something and they would tell me to go to the homeless shelter. Now, as a young adult, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go and admit defeat and say that I was homeless. So for two weeks, I was on the street living in Toowoomba without anywhere to live. I was still going to school because I was using gym showers to um, have showers to go to school just at least smell good. And then the school caught on that I wasn't living anywhere. And so one of those students let me live with them for a bit and then it just got really toxic. And so I had to move on. And then after I moved on from that place with my friend, I also had to exchange in favours for people to keep accommodation, pay for my rent and um, just, I guess, survive. And it was very degrading, especially with my self-esteem and whatnot. Going growing up to foster care, it just made it a lot worse.
1: So throughout my transition, I found myself needing to do a lot of my own, such as doing my housing application, going through NRAS, doing all my inspections on my own. There just wasn't really a lot of support around getting all the things that I needed to be stable going into adulthood.
3: My child safety officer helped with the funding to get my furniture for my room, which was really helpful. And she also got me, got me a laptop for school, which was a big help. But yeah, she also wasn't very available during that time, which was a bit of a stress. There were a couple of times when she went on leave and didn't really notify anyone. We were We were sending emails that weren't getting received, which was a bit of a stress. I ended up sending in a complaint to her team leader. Her team leader was amazing. She responded almost straight away. I never heard from my previous support person ever again. She she got me a new one and she was stood in until that new one got involved and they tried to fix it as much as possible. Uh, They had to start my transition plan then. It was about three years late. Obviously, things were very rushed, but they did the best that they can. And they also got me. I'm kind of still considered a foster kid for a little bit longer, even though I'm 18. And so I'm still getting some supports for that. And then, of course, COVID happened. Uh, What ended up happening was we all not all of us, but most of us left campus and went back to live with family for the time being and attended class online. So since that period, I've moved back in with my carer. She's been really nice and supportive, really helpful during this process. She helped me move all my stuff back. So I'm now connecting with a, a local youth service to help me move out of home again. But this time I'll be moving somewhere in Toowoomba so that I can be closer to family. I'll also have my peas by then. My support worker and my carer, they, they helped me with my hours and they also helped me get a car. So when I do move out the second time, I'll be able to visit family whenever I need to.
2: The department told me that, that if I got my own way to Brisbane, they could help me. And they did, they actually did help me. They said to me, if I got my own way from Brisbane to get up to Ipswich, is where they they had this crisis care home. I lived there for two nights, because after the two nights, I realized that I felt like I was in a prison, which there was really toxic people living in that house. And so me being a young adult, not realizing about the consequences of running away, I ran away. I ran all the way to Brisbane on a train, I guess I was just used a lot, taken advantage of a lot. And every time I would be like happy having a job and stuff, I'd lose it because something else would go wrong.
3: So I looked into a school with the help of my carer and CSO. I made an application and I went through the process and I got enrolled there doing a diploma. I also got boarding there. Yeah, then uh, my carer helped me to move in and she visited me a few times while I was settling in, which was really helpful. She helped me learn about the public transport system too, and my youth support worker, she also helped with that stuff.
1: Throughout my transition from care, I had many challenges, like trying to find housing. I was also trying to get my peas, which was very hard. I was actually pressured to move out of the Seals home before I was 18. Some situations happened there where it wasn't suitable for me. I'm now living out of home without my provisional licence or a car. I've got my birth certificate and stuff. Today, someone from Next Step is coming over to bring my bedside table drawers, so I'm hoping they might
0: bring that with them. What would have helped in these challenges?
3: I think the biggest help was was my carer, just because having that one person who's basically family, who, you know, loved and supported me no matter what, she just really cares about all her kids. And it was really great to have someone like that to be able to go to to talk about anything or to get support, like... If I had needed financial support, she would have jumped in and lent me some money. Or if I suddenly needed to go back home, she would have driven all the way out there just to, just to take me home, you know. So knowing that I had that support was really helpful.
2: I just wanted love and I didn't get love.
3: Just somebody taking
1: the initiative, asking me what I needed, not waiting for me to go to them and be like, OK, I need this and this done. And then I have to like be on their case all the time for them to do it. It would be nice for somebody just to simply ask, hey, how are you going? Is there anything I could help you with? Going out of their way to look at different supports, whether child safety or like Next Step, Youth Connect, all of that kind of stuff, just kind of doing a group meeting and seeing what each agency could do for me just simple things like that could have gone a long way
2: some of the things that I wish would have happened is that a CSO would have driven down come and actually seen me had a conversation with me and seen what seen, seen the place I'm living in and see have an actual conversation with me instead of just telling me that when I was when I was when I hit rock bottom that oh yeah there's a homeless shelter there you could go have a look there
1: Well I'm a Torres Strait Islander female and I would have liked to have seen more supports around getting to know my background and my culture and maybe even learning some of my own language. So I've been to the Torres Strait Islands um, with my grandmother when I was 12 years old. We went there for six weeks and I met a bunch of family members. It was very very difficult to be able to get my passport in time. We actually tried two years earlier for me to go, and I had to stay and go to respite because child safety were not helping me get my passport sorted um, with my Australian citizen and my birth certificate and all of that. They weren't helping with that, so I had to miss and wait two years for it to all be finalised for me to be allowed to go.
3: The most important thing that that we need during this transition time and during any period of the child safety process is communication it feels like everybody talked to everybody except us or they talk to us last it it would just be so much easier if they just came to us we're not stupid we're not young and immature we understand what we're talking about and even even when we when we don't we still have the right to have our voice heard uh, even if it's just to say this is what we're doing, you asked us to do this, this is our process. There hasn't been much change yet, but this is what's happening on our side. But it would also help the youth to know that they do have this support, that they are being listened to, they are being heard, um, and that things are happening for them.
0: Create has some great resources for young people who are transitioning to adulthood. We have a free app called Thoughtly short for, sort out your life. It is the ultimate guide to becoming an adult. It is a free mobile app we designed in consultation with young people to help young people find the information and services they need. It's fun, informative, easy to navigate, and can be installed on Apple or Android mobile devices. We often speak to workers who find it really useful as well. We also have a kit called the Go Your Own Way Kit. You can download these resources and much more from www. Dot createyourfuture.org.au okay we are back with our create young consultants what about accessing centrelink how was that experience what would have helped can you share any experiences or thoughts about starting a bank account
2: so yeah my first experience at centrelink was hard and so i was trying to set up my first bank account um, when I was setting up my first bank account at my local bank, it was hard because I didn't understand what I had to do and I had to have 100 points of ID, which was dumb because I only had maybe my Medicare card if I was lucky and um, my school ID. But after time, I got photocopies of my birth certificate. I got all these things that needed to be able to get my bank account. Then in two weeks after that, I got my learner's owners and I um, went and applied for Centrelink.
3: My foster care and I went to try and sort out that process. It didn't end up being an easy thing, uh, and they directed us to these computers and got onto this website page with all of the questions and information that we needed to fill in. And they didn't have an option for, for foster care. And because of that, process took nearly two months. We had to keep going to the people at Centrelink and saying, what are we supposed to do? and they would tell us to go and get a form, or something like that, and we would go and do it, and come back, and they'd tell us to do something else. Uh, my carer did go to a local politician, and I think they actually have added that option to Centrelink now as a result.
2: And now, this is where it got really hard for me. I came in by myself, when I just got my learners, I was so happy, right next door, so I went next door, after I got my licence, and I went there and I was like, can I please apply for Semilink? And she said to me, yeah, you can apply online, just over there. I went to the computer and they asked me these questions like, do you have a MyGov account? I'm like, I don't know what that is. What's a MyGov account? I don't get that. And she's like, oh, so have you applied for something before? And, she, and I'm like, no, because I didn't know what something was. All I knew is that I had to apply for it because it's what the TAFE asked me to apply for and what the department said that I needed to like pay for rent. I don't even have my first bank statement yet. I don't even know like, what I'm supposed to do so I had to wait six months after I got my loaners to get Centrelink because I didn't have a bank statement and it was really hard the first time to even just sit in that place because it made me feel sick it made me feel like I was being defeated by a system that was supposed to help people and I remember sitting there for like two hours waiting for my number to be called and when they called my number it took them five not even five seconds to tell me oh we can't help you you need something. you need a parent rental guardian signature so I don't have a parental guardian, right? Well, we can't help you. So that month, I told my CSO, and the CSO is like, "Yeah, we'll come and help you." And then the the assembling told her that she couldn't sign it because she's not my guardian. But then they she, they had this like huge argument in front of me, saying, no, "No, no, no! I'm Raymond. I'm the he's the ward of the state." And the way they, they were yelling it out, I was like, "Anyone else want to know that I'm a kid in care?" Like anyone. <laughs> It would have been nice if a department gave me notification, like notice, about what I needed to bring.
3: I didn't have many problems with the actual independent living itself. My, my financing was going okay. I knew how to clean and cook. But once I did start getting depressed, I found it a lot harder to look after myself. It's really great being able to to go back home to have that additional support and my family, and it made study a lot easier too. And my carer was really supportive in in helping me move as well. You should have seen her pack. It was like she was playing the most intricate game of 3D Tetris ever.
1: Once I moved into SILS, I taught myself how to clean, how to cook. I was even teaching 17-year-olds inside the home how to cook themselves because they weren't aware of how to do it. I think we could have been supported as soon as we moved into SILS or got to a certain age, as an example, like 15, started to be taught how to do our washing and how to do the cleaning and the cooking and, like, what works and what doesn't.
3: So so the service that's helping me find a place, they don't just help with, with living, they help with general transition stuff as well. They're kind of, like, next step, actually. Uh, She's lovely. We bonded over our mutual appreciation of Marvel movies. (laughs) They said they could help look into personal development stuff, health stuff, housing, work, employment, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think they're a really valuable service uh, and it sounds like they'll be really helpful. So I, I am close with most of my family. Some of my family, including my dad, and most of his side of the family are just not safe for me to be around and I don't have any contact with them but especially my mum and my younger siblings uh, I'm I'm really close with them. I go to their house once a week. I went there yesterday and we watched old Astro Boy cartoons so that's it's, it's a very nice environment. I, I choose not to live with them because even though most of the main issues that led to us being taken into foster care have been assessed and resolved. The house remains quite unorganised and it also holds some bad memories for me and it is just quite a chaotic place to live. I love all of the people there so much but it's much easier for me to live uh, with my foster carer so I love both places. Uh, my my foster carer's place is better for for me to live in a foster carer, she she tries to to make friends with the parents of her her foster kids, and she tries to support them. So she and my mum they have a great relationship actually. So they have a really great great um, relationship. They consider each other part of their family. It's been a really really
0: positive positive thing for for everyone involved. So. I want you to imagine that you're a child safety officer, a CSO, working with young people 15 and above. What would you do to be the best CSO to really support young people on their T2A journey?
1: To be the best CSO, I feel you would have to be as genuine as you possibly could. You need to see this as somebody else's life. What you do determines where they could be in say five years time. And also, when it comes to interactions with the kid, speak to them as if you're speaking to your niece or your nephew. If they were in that position, what would you do? What would you like to see happen to them? And how would that look like? What would that look like? Regularly checking up on them because there's a lot of things that kids in care do not like to talk about. But if you gain enough trust between the person, I'm sure that they'll be happy to share a few more things with you. So ask them what their ideal circumstance would be, and if they're willing to compromise.
2: If I was a CSO, what I would do is I'd make sure the child is safe, has accommodation, and is being looked after. And if that child has self-placed, I would still show them the courtesy of giving them a ring and finding out if they are safe, and if they are a bit doing okay in being independent. I would want to know if that child in an environment that's safe for them and making sure that they're not in danger. If they only rung me and spoke to me and asked me how I was and, they, and I told them that I was struggling, that they could help, they would help me, which I'm sure would have happened if they had rung me.
3: To really sit down with this young person uh, and have an open conversation, answer whatever questions that they have, just get to know them and to build a good rapport. I would make sure to ask what their preferred form of communication is and how frequently they would like to be communicated with. I know a lot of of young people, especially people with ASD or something like that, struggle with phone calls, so maybe emailing or face-to-face would be better or Zoom calls. Just all the
1: small little things, it really depends because each child is different, everybody's circumstance is different but at the end of the day, everybody, each kid knows what they want and what their ideal outcome should be. It's just as simple as asking them what it is that they're wanting to get at and then finding the supports to get them there.
0: Thanks for listening today. If any of the material covered in this podcast has brought up issues for you, please talk with a mental health professional to work through this. You can also contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 36. If you are a worker, professional, or carer, we'd like you to take a moment to reflect. What is one thing that stood out today that will impact your work this week? Thanks to all the young people who shared today. Your openness, honesty, and courage continue to amaze all of us. For more information about Create, check out www.create.org.au. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can hear about future episodes. Send any feedback or ideas to create at create.org.au. Thanks again for listening to Voices in Action, a podcast by Create Foundation.